This is an AMI podcast. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Apple released a video last week ahead of International Day of Persons with Disabilities. The video shows Dr. Tristan Ingham using two Apple features on iOS 17 to read a story to his daughter. The features are live speech and personal voice. Dr. Ingham is a disability advocate who lives with muscular dystrophy that affects muscles in his body and face. Let's take a moment to watch the video in full. The Lost Voice. A girl stands in a forest. She looks around, then at a medallion around her neck. She opens it, then looks up as a furry pink and white creature with a leafy t-shirt and glasses approaches. Why, oh why, creature, are you so quiet? You've lost your voice. I'll help you find it. She looks at the medallion, which is a compass. It spins, then stops. Let's go. The creature follows to her riverbank. Maybe your voice is under the smoke. He lifts it. No voice there. Just this frog. And bugs. Later, they search on hillsides. Anything! The distant creature shrugs. Could it be up in that tree? Not in my tree. Nothing to see. An owl shakes its head. They leave the forest, cross sand dunes, and sit atop a mound eating chips. Can it be found atop the mound? Or is it deep down underground? They look down. A turnip smiles below on a stormy sea. Have you checked in the boat? What did it fall back down your throat? On a beach. Open your mouth. Open wide. Why, I can't see your voice inside. After she looks into the creature's mouth with a telescope, they sit by a fire, dejected. It seems you have so much to say. She snuggles into the creature. In reality, the girl lies in bed, the story opened by her. A man with a leafy t-shirt and glasses sits with her. I'm sure we'll find another way. Read it again. Okay. He types into his phone. One more time. He pats her head. Personal voice recreates your own voice on iPhone, so it's never lost. The Apple logo. So that's Apple's commercial that shows off a couple of accessibility features, live speech and personal voice as used by Dr. Income, a disability advocate with muscular dystrophy. The video is quite touching and quite beautiful, but it has raised some broader points about knowledge of accessibility products and features available on mainstream tech for example, Apple. So Sean Priest has some thoughts on that, and Sean is one of the co-hosts of Double Tap, which you can find daily on AMI-audio at noon Eastern time. Hey, good morning, Sean. 
Hello, Dave. Oh, was, I'm filling up. That was beautiful, wasn't it? Yeah, just the notion of a father being able to connect with their daughter and read them a bedtime story using these two exactly. features together speaks to a really strong use case for those two features. And Sean, I know you're someone who also tends to utilize some of the accessibility features across the iPhone. So before you and I jump into maybe a broader marketing conversation, just a day after International Day of Persons with Disabilities, how would you... Um, evaluate or summarize the bevy of offerings that Apple has in place that might be serving somebody like Dr. Ingham or might be serving someone like Sean Priest? Well, again, I, I just think there's so much work gone in to making these accessibility features even possible. And the amount of, of work and research and development is absolutely amazing. So many times when, you know, my screen reader doesn't read something, oh, this is terrible, they don't care. But the amount of research that does go on in the background, there are obviously teams and teams of people there working on this stuff. And even as someone with a disability, it, it doesn't mean that I've got any great insight into other disabilities at all. I'm just as ignorant as anyone else to other disabilities and how people with uh, who are unable to touch screen or who are unable to speak would use various devices. And it, it's not until you get something like this, something that, that sort of just highlights it, they think, okay, that does make you think. But again, I only, this was released, as you said, as part of Persons with Disability Day. Is that enough? I don't know what the answer is. Let me put that straight out there. I do have thoughts on this, but how do you reach people? This this technology, these features have the potential to change people's lives. But how do they know about these? How do yeah. they know they even exist? Honestly, I don't know what the answer is. Right, you and I could have a conversation. We could, you and I could have just a really earnest, straightforward conversation every week where I just ask you, what's a feature? What's a feature? What does this do? What does that do? Yes. Right, like like you've been on the show before. You talked about uh, how you like the iPhone Pro's uh, door detection mode, right? But if yes. you and I just talked about one feature every week, we wouldn't be having the most compelling conversations in the world because it's it's sort of, what does that do? Oh, it shows me where doors are. It, it like there needs to be sort of that secondary or tertiary thought if you were able to do that like truly effectively. Exactly. And it's it's the million dollar question that's been going on for years and years. Whose responsibility is it to make people aware of these sort of features? Uh, I mean, is it my own personal responsibility to research this? I think personally, yes, partly. Um, is it the tech company? Should the tech company do more like Apple have done here with this? And let's be fair, other companies at this day, Personal Disability Day, do the same sort of thing. They they highlight the features that they have. It's a great resource for that. But it's it still, it seems like it's so hard to reach people who truly need this technology. For example, I know lots of people who still don't know that they can use a, a mainstream smartphone if they can't see the screen. The amount of people I still talk to to this day. And it, I, you know, again, in our little bubble, oh, everyone knows about screen readers. It just isn't the case. Lots of people maybe not interested in technology at all, or even not interested in smartphones or whatever. They just don't know the, the effect 
that technology can have on their everyday life. Yeah. How do you reach people? If you just have a podcast, for example, well, what if someone doesn't even listen to podcasts? Right. How do you reach those people? People might not even know what a podcast is. So it's a, it's a really tricky question, but I think it's something we should you know ponder quite a lot. Yeah, th th there's definitely something to be said that maybe goes beyond making a, a video that pulls at the heartstrings. Like like that video that that just that we just showed has that that emotional element that sort of shows a father reading their daughter a bedtime story, and it's it's yeah. like, it's very clear. There's very clear use case. I, but when you talk about somebody maybe not understanding the capacity of using a screen reader on their phone or that built-in technology, I think that's where a corporation might have to invest in something that is a little bit more earnest, like a tutorial, like a straight walkthrough on the Apple website where maybe you have the 10 or 15 features that are listed, the 10 or 15 most prominent accessibility features on your iPhone, and it's actually just a tutorial. And maybe that's not too far removed from what you do on your show, uh, Sean of the Shed, where you're really trying to demystify some of these things. But again, how entertaining or engaging is a tutorial? What's the return on investment to doing it if you're a tech company? Yeah, exactly. And to be fair, tech companies do have, a, well, not all of them, let's make that clear, but a lot of tech companies do have, you know, accessibility websites, even accessibility um, channels on YouTube. So it's not like the information isn't out there. It's just, it, it sits there. And how do you get that to people who may not be able to access access a website or a YouTube channel in the first place, should they be reaching out in different ways? I, for example, when, when you get your smartphone, there, I, I believe there should be almost, you don't get an instruction manual with it. I mean, why isn't there an app bang in the middle of your front screen of what your phone can do, what it's capable of? You know, let's get all those resources that are available on YouTube or on the company's website. Let's put them on the device so that people who may not have a need for it will actually see the information is there at some point. So someone is always, hey, we're all bored and we click on every single app on our home screen at some point. And if someone <laughs> says, hey, I didn't know this, you know, personal voice or live speech feature is there. And maybe, you know, someone they know, friend, family member has difficulties, then that's how it spreads. Like, there's, as I said, there's no simple answer to this. But, yeah. um, I, think, I, I, but I, almost, I almost wonder if the flaw in your theory is, though, that you're waiting for them to get the tech in their hands before they get that kind of knowledge given to them. I actually wonder if you're specifically talking about someone who's a little bit more grassroots and not techie at all, then you've got to start building partnerships with organizations, with disability service organizations that yes. are going to be able to do in-person trainings on these phones, like that it might get rolled into what we would call in the, the blind and low vision side, the orientation and mobility training, but sort of whatever yes. mobility training, whatever orientation training you want to be giving somebody, it has to be going into people's hands, like almost directly. You can't wait for them to lay out the thousand dollars on the phone. No, absolutely. But I, I believe there's two fronts to this. There's the mainstream People without disabilities, the friends and the family, as I said, being aware that it's there and passing the information on. Word of mouth, I think, is hugely effective, but it's got to be out there in the mainstream. It can't be hidden away and then just, you know, only certain people know about it. Uh, and, and secondly, I think you're right as well, at, at the foundation level, um, there's so many times, like ophthalmologists, consultants, that, that time when you're told, 
oh, I'm sorry, but your eyesight is at this level or whatever disability it is. There's so many times where you're just cast adrift. I think the follow-up on there, that that so many people should know much more about what, what someone with a disability is capable of because of the technology that is available. And I, I hate to say it, but there's there's many times where I've been to a low vision clinic after you know a, a, a drop, a severe drop in my vision, and I'm offered a magnifying glass or something that the, the, the knowledge isn't there at yeah. the foundation level, at the source, uh, uh, at the almost a medical level, I could say. Yeah. And um, it maybe we're relying on organizations a little bit too much to reach out. And because I've never had O&M training ever. I've never been offered it. I've never reached out for it. I never, I am in desperate. I am terrible with my mobility, <laughs> but I've never, that there people fall through, let me try and say that again. People fall through the net all the time. Yeah. So I, I, I as I look again, I'm going to keep repeating this. I don't have an answer to this. It's a really difficult question to to how do you reach everybody? But um, yeah, I think I think you're right. At, at the source level is is one point as well. The front lines for sure. You've got to be thinking about the front yes. lines and points of contact for sure. And I think you're like you're right to point out like there are these medical moments where someone's going to have a diagnosis in their life, or maybe now they're going to be joining the disability community, or maybe they're going to be uh, developing a big life change in regards to the disability evolving. And yeah, there would be it would be great if there were more resources in that moment to say, well, a lot of people are doing this in that state, right, as opposed to shuffling them off to the next bureaucrat or the next bureaucracy or the next foundation. Exactly, Sean, I'm going to put on my therapist hat for a second here, though, because I wonder, if, it, I wonder if where this thought is perhaps coming from where one of my thoughts lands around Awareness Days, where I feel like whatever the Awareness Day may be, in this case, it's a, a person's with disabilities Awareness Day, that some of this like advertising, although beautiful and touching, just feels a little bit crass, that it feels like a tokenistic marking of the day. And that's a difficult question. I did think about this myself as well. I don't know, how else would you highlight a feature like this? I mean, if you just had a plain person with a disability saying, hey, I use this because I need this, you know, I'm unable to speak, so I use this feature on the iPhone. Would that be as, would that reach as many people no, as something no, like this, which has been beautifully filmed, apparently, beautifully filmed by some uh, well-known producer filmmaker and, and you know, packaged in that Apple way? Is this more effective, basically? But I do get, I do understand what you're saying. It's almost pulling at the heartstrings too much. Um, I, I don't know what the balance is there, though. Yeah, so, oh, but, but, but Sean, my question might even be more particular about timing, right? That it's like, okay, it's the it's the last week in November, it's the it's first week day. of December, time to roll out <laughs> our disabled stuff. <laughs> yes. Um, again, that leads on to the discussion about the effectiveness of uh, uh, one day a year, and then is it forgotten about? But that is why I, I started really with the amount of work that goes in to the research all the time on this because tech companies do get a lot of grief and rightfully so sometimes about you know the bugs that are going on in voiceover let's say in my case or whatever it may be and the fact that hey we get one day a year where we you know celebrate uh, disability features 
Um, but let's not forget that it takes years and years to develop these features. Mm. Features like you know, live speech, which can work in, inside FaceTime calls, phone calls, the ability to type something and it's spoken out audibly is something that people rely on every single day. So I do I do kind of agree. Yes, it, it does seem like a, a tokenistic is a great word, actually. But what's the alternative? Have nothing at all? Yeah, right, exactly. I, I, honestly, exactly. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, just I'll, ignore it completely. <laughs> yeah, I'll choose the bandwagoning for one day a year the, compared to zero <laughs> days a year, right? If that's, if that's the binary you're forcing me into, yes, I will choose uh, the one day exactly. a year over zero. Hey, Sean, along those lines, uh, this topic ended up uh, prompting the daily poll question today at Accessible Media on Twitter, at Accessible Media oh. Inc. on Facebook. And uh, the question is, what type of assistive technology has had the biggest impact on your life. I'll read you a couple options here, Sean, but you're not limited to this. Navigation and GPS, voice control and voiceover, automated captioning or other. So Sean, I know I'm putting you on the spot there other. and certainly you're, you're happy to go off the board here. And did I just hear you say other? Sean's going other. No, 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 no. I was just trying to think what other would be. No, look, it's got to be the screen reader for me because as soon as I started to lose my sight and I started to struggle seeing a computer screen because that's all I ever did. As a kid, I was constantly on a computer at college. It's it's what I wanted to do. It's what I was. I was that computer nerd. And it wasn't until I discovered screen readers that I suddenly thought, and this wasn't straight away, obviously, I thought, you know what, it's going to be fine. I, I, can, I can interact and it works. That was the biggest impact for me because for the longest time it was just okay well as soon as i can't use the magnifier anymore that's it i'm out but it turned out not to be the case sean i always appreciate your perspectives thank you for going a little long with me today have a lovely day talk to you soon thanks a lot dave take care that is sean priest he's one of the hosts of double tap you can find that show daily noon eastern time on ami audio coming up after the break the band kiss has said no more live concerts for us. They played their last concert over the weekend, but they are going to find a way to live forever, rock and roll all night, party every day. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Hi, I'm Jenny Bovard. Join me monthly for Low Vision Moments, where I speak with awesome guests about some of the amusing things that happen when you're blind or partially sighted. Watch on YouTube or download Low Vision Moments from your favorite podcast distributor.